This is an NEC podcast. Hello, and welcome to Studio P1. This is Marjolaine Fournier, and we're exploring the symphony. I'm sitting here with Jean-Jacques Van Vlasler, and today our subject is um, Shostakovich uh, and his Ninth Symphony. Now, Jean-Jacques Shostakovich lived in a crazy time. He was born at the beginning of uh, the century in 1906. And he died, I thought it was in the 60s, he died in the 70s. So yes, 1975. What, what a time to be yeah. in Russia. And, you know, you study him, you listen to his music, and you have to wonder what... He's such an individual. Mm-hmm. What is his place, really? And, and, you know, he lived behind a sort of a curtain. He lived inside a box, and at the same time, he was so big. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, he's a, he's a very complex figure, very complex figure. Well, you have both this uh, very sad side, this pessimistic side, and then you have the ironic one, the ironic. The, 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 his irony was a kind of, looks, looked like being superficial, but was not really superficial. He knew exactly what he was doing each time. You know, um, he was the kind of person who disinformed everybody Everybody, not only the officials, even the people around him. But this wasn't out of malice. He he wasn't a malicious kind he of guy. He was not a malicious kind of person, certainly not. He was, uh, he was a very timid, very nervous. Uh, uh, you know, is one of the, the, the most anguished people I have ever met in my life. Mm. And the, uh, the, mind you, he was in the West at the time I met him. He was surrounded by um, some of the uh, uh, undercover agents uh, of the KGB. And I understand very well why, why one would be anguished at, at that point and one would say minimum uh, at that point. It was not a, very important to, to say things for him at a, he would say everything through his symphonies and through his uh, string quartets and through his song cycles and i make uh, i make a difference between uh, the, the symphonies and the string quartets and the song cycles because the symphonies for me are a mirror of the society a society in which he was born 1906 when in 1905 1905 there is the first revolution in st petersburg and he dies in 1975 he will not see the wall come down in 19 1989, but you know, after uh, uh, after uh, Khrushchev and after the death of Stalin, things started to open. Not really. It was a it, a it was a very uncomfortable society where everybody was frightened of everybody, and um, in which uh, that's why he would keep a certain thing, a number of things in his drawers and uh, hide a certain number of musical pieces which were too clear. Um, and clearly uh, attacks. But what he did um, 
with his symphonies, and his symphonies were in fact from 1937 on. And I, I'm not saying this. From 1937 on, it's it's the conductor Gennady Rozhezvensky, for whom I have the, the greatest respect. A great musicologist and a great conductor and great conductor of Shostakovich also. So he said from 1937 on, and especially from his seventh, fifth symphony, he had developed an extraordinary complicity with his public. Which wanted the public was waiting anxiously for each new creation. And when he died in 1976, Kirill Kondrashin, another great Russian uh, uh, conductor, said he was a unique personality. We spoke about that. He was the moral conscience of Russia. This is something. This, this is something. This pessimistic creature haunted by death. He was the witness for the suffering of the Russian people. And so we, um, uh, we see that and throughout the symphonies from not 1944 is a very different, uh, 1944, what I'm saying, uh, the fourth symphony is a very different symphony. It's an incredible way he discovers the, 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 the writing of Mahler and in which he, he, he reads the Russian steps through Malerian techniques. And, and then, of course, he gets, he, he gets beaten up in 1936-37 by, by, by um, the, the officials. Uh, and, and he can't have this symphony performed. He, it won't be performed before 1961. Conducted by Kirill Kondrashin. So that, you see the 1930s, 1961. So the Fifth Symphony is a kind of excuse in saying, oh, yes, you wanted something more um, Tchaikovsky like? Well, you'll get it. So, because, you know. Yeah. I apologize. See, I apologize. It I mean, and it's a wonderful symphony and, and it's a very popular symphony because people like very classical writing. And, uh, but you know what, what happened? In that kind of regime, they could not, those kind of regimes said they were very forward looking. They were not, they're very conservative. The, the communist system was a very conservative system, so they liked the language of Tchaikovsky and his followers, and that was the way you had to express yourself. People, uh, uh, people like Mahler were rejected, absolutely. And I'm not talking about the second school of Vienna, <laughs> you know, it's the Berg and company, and this is, this was no language. So Shostakovich wrote his fifth symphony, and then from that point on, as uh, Gennady Rozhezvensky says, it became, he became the really the mirror, and people waited anxiously for each new presentation. So he, he will say, and I'm talking about Shostakovich, I'm quoting him, I'm translating him, he said, too many of our people have perished and we don't know where they were buried. Nobody knows where they have been buried, even their relatives don't know. That has happened to a number of my friends. Where can we build a monument to Meyerholtz? great uh, theater personality, or Tukhashevsky, uh, one of uh, the military. Only music can do it. I am ready to dedicate one work to each of the victims. This, unfortunately, is not possible. So, I dedicate 
to them all of my music. And that's what it is. Shostakovich dedicated all his music to all the victims of that, of that incredible, incredible periods in um, uh, the Russian people's lives, uh, which was the Soviet period. So he lives throughout that, that world. We get to the Second World War, during which he composes two enormous symphonies. The Seventh Symphony, famous Seventh Symphony, Leningrad Symphony, and the Eighth Symphony, which will be called a bit later the uh, Stalingrad Symphony. We get out of the Second World War and, uh, and everybody says, oh, this is the time to claim victory and to write great works to thank our heroic soldiers and especially our great leader, Stalin. He himself will say that. He himself, you know, in, the, in uh, uh, early 1945, in January 45, he will talk to his students and he will say to his students, yes, I'm going to write a, a symphony that will be, uh, will be underlining this, this great victory, this. Uh, and, um, and he composes, he starts composing within the first movement and then he stops somewhere at the end of January. Somewhere at the end of the, no, beginning February, he starts, stops. What happens? We don't know. Uh, the war ends a few months later on the 9th of May, 1945. And by July 1945, he starts composing a totally different version of that victory symphony. And it is a very, very different a, a small version, a 24-minute a symphony, about 24, depends on the conductor, of course, <laughs> a 24-minute symphony, as long as the first movement of the Eighth Symphony. <laughs> and, um, and it's a light symphony, and people didn't understand. And of course, he was taking risks. <laughs> Stalin was waiting for his great victory symphony. Behind that, I think th there are two things, two elements, two elements. Shostakovich had two great heroes. One was Mahler, as we said already, um, of, of whom he had the pulsations, the hesitations, the, the, the provocative clumsiness sometimes, or you know, exterior clumsiness, it's not really, but you know, this kind of, and which we find wonderfully well in the Fourth Symphony. And Beethoven. Beethoven was the top. And, and of Beethoven, if you want, he, he, he possesses the, the innate abstraction and the great spiritual demands. You know, I, I call him Beethoven in the tundra. You know? <laughs> he has yeah. Beethoven, but Beethoven was born in Bonn and lived in Vienna. And so it is a different environment. Shostakovich had, had a country, an immense country in front of him. So the music reflects that also. And I do think this is right. So those two. And so Beethoven, oh, Beethoven composed the Ninth Symphony. So seven and eight were composed during the Second World War. And then this Victory Symphony would be the Ninth Symphony. And 
it didn't go well with him. He he said, you know, I don't want to be taken as a a a, a new Beethoven. He had too much respect for Beethoven. You know, we have been talking about that. The Ninth Symphony is a, is a stumbling block for for many composers, and uh, and so he decided that was one reason that most probably he changed his mind from a great epic symphony to a a small recognition, and we'll talk about it in detail. The second thing is that in his mind I mean, this man was a um, was a great conscience in his mind this great victory was done over the lives of 20 million russian people this this war cost 50 million people the death of 50 million people at all of grosso modo the 20 million russians this is this is enormous you said there and what is victory? What kind of victory is this when you have 20 million death people? And some of them because of Stalin himself. So all this, with, and I think with great courage, he created a, a small symphony, which of course his detractors <laughs> will call right away grotesque, a creative diversion. Um, it will be denounced as formalist, like in 1936. Formalist means um, a language that the public and that the people cannot understand. Form beyond the contents for the people. So, well, the, then he will compose things like the Quiet Don, which is the, the, one of the big rivers in, 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 in Soviet Union, Russia today. So, um, he, he will be composing works for the people. <laughs> but at the same time, he composes these great abstract works, which are um, within the, the, the structure of his 15 symphonies. This symphony is the kind of distance-taking implosion. <laughs> you have these great epic symphonies around him, seven and eight and then 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 and 15, when he knew he was very ill, become farewell symphonies. And he says farewell to the poets he likes. He says farewell to the musicians he likes. Wagner, Beethoven, uh, Rossini. They're all in those, the 14, 15 symphonies. So it is, it's a, it's a very, they're very different. They're very much smaller symphonies, interiorized symphonies. Now, this one is not necessarily interiorized. It is a kind of symphony that is a question mark. It is a question mark. What is this all about? 1945, 50 million dead people. L let's go back to the beginnings. Let's go back to huh, when can we, when can we smile? When you know this man was a pessimist. I mean, but well, how no, can you not? No, of course, but he was nature-wise also yeah. quite pessimistic.
read that his face was often a, a mix of grimaces and tics, that yeah. his, he, he seemed to be inwardly struggling all the time. But Jean-Jacques, you know, he knew the system. Mm -hmm. Very well. He had lost friends. Mm -hmm. He had lost neighbors. The the uh, uh, maybe it's apocryphal, but the, he slept in the landing, the um, elevator landing, or in the vestibule of his apartment, so that if he came to be arrested, which he would be for sure, mm -hmm. that he he slept there so it, it wouldn't wake up everybody. Uh, you're talking he yes. Was, yeah. So about this is there are two things I want to tell you about that sleeping in the in the hall. Uh, Do you uh, think that's many, true? Uh, many more ru uh, Russians did that, I <laughs> think. It was not the only one. Okay. There is a famous joke um, about people uh, lying in bed, hearing, knocking at the door, listening, saying, it's okay, it's for the neighbors. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's terrible. But this is one of those famous Russian jokes, which is not a joke. Uh, on the other hand, um, Shostakovich was saved most probably because Stalin loved his film music. This man would have been sent to Siberia most they, uh, already in 1937 or 1938. Yeah. Um, but because he. It, this, I have to say, you know, seven and eight, uh, there was supposed to be sort of a trilogy of symphonies, eh? <laughs> yes, the, the war of, symphonies. Yeah. So seven, eight sort of steps towards number nine, the big one. Mm -hmm. And mm. and instead, and while I'm really, really mystified as to how Stalin had time to worry about this stuff, um, he was checking for uh, <laughs> thanks mm. and homages mm -hmm. and dedications and mm. things like that. And... Um, the, the this uh, symphony, this ninth symphony, should have been something triumphant, Absolutely. an homage to our our fearless leader Stalin. Mm -hmm. Instead, it's a little Shostakovich. He knew what he was dealing with. To me, it's almost like um, a suicide yeah. to to do something like this. Well, Why uh, not fake it? Why not? Yeah, the people, you know, musicologists liked him most of them liked him very much and mm. so they will try to save him when he composes this after they heard the, ver the version of this they were perplexing and they they would say well it seems that in this ninth symphony Shostakovich is taking a breather a, cre a creative diversion from those great philosophical ethical problems that form the content of the seventh and eighth symphony and and they they try to describe it but they they have to go around that symphony because they don't really understand what he's doing and it, the ninth symphony is like a scherzo symphony uh, um, separating Shostakovich's two preceding orchestral tragedies and there you have this little comic interlude it's not really comic because I want to come back to that it's a, a, a comic interlude somebody who liked him very much Popov who will be also condemned uh, uh, for uh, uh, who was a composer um, uh, Gavril Popov and who, uh, um, who who will be con condemned as a formalist also together with Prokofiev Kachaturian with with uh, with Shostakovich in 1946 and so um, Popov writes, oh, this symphony is transparent. It's, there's much light and air. Marvelous tutti. Fine themes. And the first theme, uh, the main theme of the first movement, could be from Mozart. So you know, they're trying to, uh, to hang in. 
Oh, it's yeah. almost literally Mozart. Well, right, uh, the, right, Bob, Bob. Yeah. There's nothing more light, almost joyous. Yeah. But Very strange. But it's nominated for the Stalin Prize in '46, and it fails to win the Stalin Prize which is a signal. And then at that very moment, then the negative comments come out. I, s <laughs> I, I quoted, of course, I quoted already a certain number of them, but this one I, I want, it's by a musicologist called Israel Nestiev. And, he, and here we go. Remarks on the work of uh, Dmitry Shostakovich's Ninth Symphony. What remains to be proposed is that the Ninth Symphony is a kind of respite, a light and amusing interlude between Shostakovich's significant creations, a temporary rejection of great serious problems for the sake of playful, filigree-trimmed trifles. But is it the right time for a great artist to go on vacation? to take a break from contemporary problems. And so they, he starts to get attacked. They call the symphony cynical, pernicious, grotesque, um, a, a, a tone of relentless mockery, ridicule, emphasis on the ugliness and cruelty of life, the cold irony of stilization. And then, of course, the cold irony of stilization, um, uh, you know, uh, style is the only thing that is important and there is no contents in it anymore that's what they're doing and then of course they refer to to stravinsky because stravinsky was a, 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 you know lived in the united states had left russia in the 19 uh, 1910s 12, 15 you know he was uh, hmm. between paris and and, and uh, russia at that time and they they called stravinsky an artist without a country without belief in progressive elevated ideals and deep ethical principles you see that was the kind of language that would would be thrown on the on the composer and he will have to um, he will have to ask pardon at a given moment. Um, uh, he will have to ask pardon in front of the uh, the meeting of the uh, in early. Uh, uh, when is this? Uh, uh, is it early forty seven? Uh, no, it's uh, it, it is in early forty eight when the meeting is happening of the of the of the, the union of the composers. You know who defends him during that meeting? And I, I have always said, you know, I, for me, he's not a great composer, but, you know, Kachaturian. Kachaturian defended him. So Shostakovich goes up, doesn't answer any of the, the questions that were thrown at him about that symphony. And in his speech, he defends young composers who had been attacked also. And, of course, uh, uh, Jewish composers like Moshe Weinberg, and he defends these uh, these young composers. He's, he's, you know the strength of this man. You know whatever he he has said. Yes, I was wrong at given moments, and I will learn. These are words, 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 and this is what you had to do to survive. Also, so he, he uh, of course for a certain number of years from 1948 on 48 49 until uh, 50 51 uh, he he couldn't be played anymore that was it that was a punishment now the weird thing is also and this is all i read my notes and they don't make sense because you have this he's getting disciplined and talked to he's not sent up to the steps or anywhere 
And he's even Stalin instead of, uh, you know, disappearing him or anything like that. He says, I have for you a cottage, a bigger apartment, more rations, more food for you, and Shostakovich, and maybe a car, something like that. And Shostakovich, of course, can't say no. He doesn't want any of this, of course. But so I don't understand, Jean-Jacques, how can you not beat this man because he hasn't done Like, he's embarrassed you publicly, right? You're expecting something big. He gives you this puny little symphony. And mm -hmm. instead of giving him the whip, you offer him a country. Am I off base? That doesn't make sense. Well, it, it, it was it's the system, the stick and the carrots, you know. Yeah. Uh, you, know the, you, you beat up, you attack them, and then uh, he, do, he doesn't get the Stalin Prize for the Ninth Symphony at mm. all. I mean, it, it, but the next year he will get Stalin Prizes for other works. Um, he um, um, he gets this dasha, and you're right. Uh, this is uh, historical. This, uh, these are facts. He gets the dasha. Of course, you don't say no to Stalin. Getting a dasha is getting a dasha. Meanwhile, 1948, he composes a work called The Anti-Formalist Paradise. Oh, boy. Yes. And a cantata. And a cantata, it is um, a cantata of protest, which, uh, in which he has two characters sing. One is Stalin. The other one is Danov. Talk to us about Zhdanov. Zhdanov was the, the kind of minister of culture. Uh, he was the uh, the one who, who looked after literature, music, and uh, the, 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 the performing arts, yes, at that time, and who was... Uh, Uh, it was a difficult man. I mean, he, he did as if he knew everything, but he didn't know too much about any of those things. But he was a, he was a, a political creation. And uh, he wanted music that was very popular, that could, uh, that could be understood by the people. And that's why he called them formalists. They were, there's a whole list of these musicians, which I, 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 I quoted, that, you know, Shostakovich, and for uh, specific works, Prokofiev for the Sixth Symphony, and for his pia uh, two last piano sonatas, uh, for his symphonic poem, Popov's for his third symphony, Miaskovsky um, for his piano sonatas, Shebalin uh, for his quartet. Very clearly, this is why you are not going to be played in the next years. But then, you know, that, that, then that disappeared calmly, and then it disappears completely in 1953. In 1953, um, Stalin dies. So does Prokofiev, same date. <laughs> oh, and too, too. Yes, yeah. your poor Prokofiev, nobody knew about it because everybody was talking about Stalin's death. And it's uh, funny because uh, Prokofiev liked uh, to be known. Yeah, he liked, oh, yes, he oh, had yes. a sense of it himself is. that was quite large, yeah. right? How, uh, how frustrating mm -hmm. to die on the same day as <laughs> Stalin. Stalin. Now, uh. the, uh, at the same time, I mean, this is... Um, but the, uh, what I wanted to say is that yes. the Ninth Symphony since its premiere, has not been played anymore until 1955. But you see, two years after Stalin's dead, 1955. And when I was talking about this anti-formalist paradise, it is Zhanov and Stalin singing their total incompetence in, in, in musical matters. I mean, is, this is extraordinary. And of course, this has only been premiered in 1989 in Washington by Rostropovich, of course. 
he was then in uh, in Washington, and then Rostropovich knew all these things because he he was very close. This. Have you heard this piece? I have never heard this piece. No, it's not great. It must be. It, no. uh, and I don't think I have not found any recording of it either. So th it must exist. I mean, it must exist. That's so, uh, fascinating. But hey? you see, during that period, 1946, 1953, he composes works that he puts away, hides from the public ear. There is a series of wonderful, extraordinary uh, Yiddish songs, Jewish, Jewish folklore songs. That's a little risk to take. And that was a risk to take. So what he did, um, they, were not, they were not often performed, but what he did to make sure that after the, I don't remember exactly, seven or eight melody, uh, Yiddish melodies, he composes three or four melodies in the popular style, Russian popular style. Mm. So popular, popular. I'm not a formalist. <laughs> Misinformation. Here we go. Here we go. So it, it was all the, all the time it was oh, like that. It's terrible. So this Ninth Symphony, composed in 45 in one month, a lighter symphony, and um, it was, it's, uh, it's not played for a long time, until 1955. And everybody wonders, what is this symphony about? What is this symphony? We, were, we have tried to explain why he just changed his methods. It resembles very much, oh no, it doesn't resemble, but it, it has elements of his first symphony. So he goes back to that, the, uh, some irony, um, um, very vivacious music, very mm -hmm. vivacious music, sometimes just playing around and getting away, going and finding Rossini or finding Offenbach yeah. or, just or Mozart. <laughs> yeah, you're just reminding me of the, the quick, the quick, I don't know if it's called a scherzo or presto or the, the second movement. The third movement, the third movement, yes. Very bubble, not happy. Bum, 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 bum. Very joy joyful. Jo joyful, very vivacious, Bubbly. very colored. Yes. Very highly colored. Light, no. like this, not no. nothing powerful, no. transparent. No. He is playing. And, you know, I, I brought this up before, uh, earlier with you, before we started speaking. And had I been a mother who had lost mm -hmm. her children, mm -hmm two sons or a daughter or my husband, if I was hungry and my grandkids were hungry and af because of this war, because of this Stalin, because of this circumstance, I would have expected a, a mourning symphony, mm -hmm. mourning as in a, a grieving mm -hmm. yes, symphony, grieving, something with um, a, some sort of fervor. Mm -hmm. But don't you think, don't you think, and we'll talk about it, that in this symphony where there the, were the light elements and all kinds of little things happening and uh, um, uh, a bit festive, uh, highly colored, uh, uh, miniature movements, uh, you know, the longest ones are about six minutes. Uh, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and suddenly, in the middle of that, there is this plaintive chant of the bassoon suddenly in the middle of that and it's painful it's sorrow it is breaking you down it's it's absolute a 
sad cantilena and you know and uh, it just reminds them and what i'm saying in answer to your question is uh, the question and an answer i gave a little bit before you know what was this war about what was this war about what is this world about where we kill 50 million people 20 million of our people are gone he's asking himself his it's his conscience that just turns is turned off by a society you know how verdi ended his last opera falstaff by a sentence called the whole world is a joke Verdi, last work. The whole world is a joke. Shostakovich says, this is not possible. This is, this is a joke. This is 20 million people. Mm. And I'm, I'm repeating this because it is so true. You know, we, you know, we lose one soldier in Afghanistan and we know about it. Yeah. 20 million? Put that in your mind. I can't. And, it, and, and so no. it goes much further. And he creates that, uh, that implosion, that black hole, which is pitillon, as they say in French. Pitillon, yes. Bubbly. Bubbly, which is bubbly, which is, which is light and which asks a question to everybody who hears it, especially in that time especially for those people that were waiting for the symphony, the great symphony of Shostakovich. Now we have this little symphony, which we play because we play it because the National Arts Center has only that number of people. That, yeah. that, that, yeah. This is purely formal. <laughs> this is purely formal. Um, uh, we would play, if we were a, a romantic orchestra, we would have 110 people sitting there. We could play the seventh and eighth symphony. <laughs> so, but so there you go. The ninth symphony is a question mark. It's a question mark about humanity. It's a question mark on how could this happen and you know the, there is a famous uh, the, the famous uh, uh, famous sentence by uh, an Italian professor who was in in Auschwitz and he asks his jailer why and the jailer answered here is no why this is the same thing. You ask me why this symphony at that moment? His answer is there is no why. And that's why, that's why in the last movement in the Allegretto you have a, a, a kind of uh, friendly, uh, a friendly mixture of Rossini or Offenbach. <laughs> As he said, I like everything, back and Offenbach. Absolutely. And everything in between. Absolutely. And so that last movement it's it's funny now you're bringing it home sort of because the bassoon solo pulls it just pulls you quietly slowly but quietly out of yourself it hurts it's which a is very just before that last movement yes. which is the largo that comes before and he goes outside of the range of the bassoon i think he asks for very 
powerful, strong, very high up in the register. This is a cry. And then the bassoon comes back down. He's by himself, the bassoon, in this hall. And he brings it down. And in one note, ba da 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 bum 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 and it becomes this weird it's not weird at all at the beginning it's it's a march it's a, f- a funny game and there's something military ugly marching through it at one point but he pr- you're right he brings it back you know you uh, you were talking about the bassoon and that yeah. that incredible you know, this is a cry This is a cry. You know, there, there is this Norwegian painter who, who painted the, the, several paintings. One of his paintings was just sold for $85 million. I mean, um, Munch. His name is Munch. I, mean, I had to go around it because the name didn't come back right to me for, uh, immediately. Munch has paid uh, paintings called The Cry. And these are uh, an open mouth. These are silent cries. This is a silent cry. This symphony is a silent cry. This is a silent cry by saying, how can I imagine the death of 20 million people? Because he's not making a victory speech, a, a victory speech musically for Stalin. And he, he even says, I will never, uh, I will never. Absolutely. Oh, Jean-Jacques, every <laughs> time we talk about this man, I, I have tears in my eyes. Just preparing, I... I think and I worry and I wonder what would I have been and this music nourishes that that feeling maybe that's the the good side of it thank you so much thank you This has been an NAC podcast. You'll find more NEC podcasts, including Explore the Symphony's sister podcast, The NACOcast, at nacpodcasts.ca. You can easily subscribe to Explore the Symphony for free by searching for Explore the Symphony in the iTunes Music Store. While you're there, leave a comment, give us a star rating, and subscribe to other NAC podcasts. Do you love classical music? For free access to over 250 full-length, high-quality recordings of the NAC Orchestra, from Bach to Bartok, check out nacmusicbox.ca, a musical archive spanning the 40-year history of the NAC Orchestra. Send your comments and questions to nacpodcasts at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. That's all for this edition of Explore the Symphony. I'm Martin Jones. Goodbye for now from Canada's National Arts Centre in Ottawa.